Welcome to America's Heroes Group podcast with information and resources that's disseminated intentionally to empower our military population with host Vietnam veteran Cliff Kelly, co-host Iraq veteran Colonel Dr. Damon Arnold, and co-host Army National Guard veteran Sean Claiborne. And now, America's Heroes Group podcast. Welcome back to America's Heroes Group. In this segment, we have the roundtable discussion with Mental Health Matters with our partner, Nami Contra Costa. Today is Saturday, March 5th, 2022. March is National Women Histories Month and also Disability Awareness Month. Our host is Cliff Kelly. I'm Sean Claiborne, the co-host. Our executive producer is Glenda Smith, and our digital media producer is Ivan Ortega of Scouts Honor Productions. And we have our partner on the line with us, Ms. Gigi Crowder. She's the executive director of NAMI. Katra Nostra, Kostra, in California. NAMI is the National Alliance on Mental Illness and the advocacy group, for, which is founded by family members of people with mental illness. Gigi, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me today. It's my pleasure. And today's discussion, we want to talk about isolation, particularly when it comes to the toll that the pandemic has had on children's mental health. Uh, we had an article we were going to talk about, some of the parts in an article from CNN.com. And also, uh, we want to address issues as it pertains to children's mental health. Okay, So one in four kids had exhibited depression during the pandemic, and one in five exhibited anxiety. This is from the June 2022 U.S. Department of Education report. A growing number of kids in the U.S. between ages 12 and 17 are going to hospital emergency rooms for suspected suicide attempts. Gigi, what do you have to tell us about this? And also, how is this is this getting better now that the, the pandemic's winding down? What are, where are we at with this? Actually, we would hope that it will be getting better, but we have not seen the downward trend. As a matter of fact, in some areas, there's been an increase in suicides for individuals in the age group. We've been grappling with two locally here in Contra Costa County of young people. And, of course, the messages we didn't see it coming. So we have to better position ourselves and have an understanding that some children, depending on the age that they were at, missed some typical milestones that they would have reached had we not experienced COVID. We're pretty much two years into this. And so some rites of passages and some opportunities that would have been there for young people were missed when we think about the fact that sometimes it's a school teacher that looks for markers for young people and they've not been able to identify it because the children haven't been in school or they've only partially been in school. That's a lot of what we're seeing. So nationally across our affiliates, we're seeing an increase in phone calls from parents who are really at a place of uh, bewilderment about some of the behaviors that they're seeing in their uh, young students. And do you think it's because kids are kind of maybe being, um, maybe it's just sort of an abrupt change and not to try to relate this to the military, but when I, when I remember going from leaving, uh, I went to the Northwestern and my first, I did a, what's called a split training. I went to North Northwest my freshman year. Then I went to uh, Fort Jackson. My first summer I was okay. Second summer I went back came back and I had a hard time concentrating. I just did not, I feel like a fish out of water. I could not for some reason focus and pretty much had to take that quarter off just because of that strange adjustment. 
Is there something similar with kids, you know, having being isolated for so long and then going back into a crowd or is, is that what it could be or? Yeah, I mean, we, we know that one of the most important things you can offer any human is structure and routine. And so disruptions for children in education have been really difficult, but also disrupt, disruptions at home. A lot of families were impacted in such a way the routine that they used to have is no longer in place. So a lot of parents think that they're protecting their children by not talking about COVID and, and its impact. And, of course, parents will need to do this based on the age, but it's really important. And one of the best things that parents can do is simply to talk to their children and try and keep to the most normal routine that they can, explaining the facts about the virus, but, you know, doing so in a way where they're putting them at ease around it. And, you know, all kids are still going to have the typical symptoms that you would get during the winter around colds and during this time of year around allergies. So trying to explain to them, you know, what's going on and reducing their anxiety about any symptoms that they may have is really important and really encouraging them not to isolate. What we've seen um, that's been really harmful is because there was distant learning. A lot of kids started relying more and more on communicating through their cell phones. Mm -hmm. And then they got back in the class and it's put your cell phone down and some teachers are sharing with us that that's been the, the most difficult thing is trying to get kids to separate from their, you know, their, their devices. digital yeah. devices. Yeah. That's, that's kind of a weird thing because for our generation or anybody that's not uh, Generation Y, I guess we call it now, or even millennials, I mean, people didn't really have, didn't really grow up married to their cell phones. I mean, to, to me, uh, the concept of a child having a having a having a way to communicate with anybody in the world at twenty four hours a day is a is a new yeah. concept that that my generation does not have. I mean, didn't have when they were kids, and I can understand that as an adult. But having that as a child seems like a lot of uh, potential for things to kind of be kind of jarring or disjointed for a child to really understand or try to get wrap their mind around. Yeah, we have seen an intent because um, it disrupts the normal routine. And when you form a habit, I'm just going to be honest, most adults now have a habit of reaching for their phones and keeping them pretty close to them. And so we're not modeling any healthier behavior as adults. So when you're telling your children to put it away, you have to model that. And so the disruption has really been really um harmful and what we're hearing from a lot of parents is they're starting to be physical things like ticks and um, hand movements and all that are a part of this over-reliance. Um, we're looking at social determinants of health and we're seeing a difference based on where people live, where they play, you know, what level of stress they might be exposed to and, and it has not helped because the media has had some messaging that might not be helpful. So I'm, I'm also encouraging families to control what their children are hearing versus having them exposed to media in such a way that they may be misinterpreting what they're hearing. And that's one thing I read, too, in that report is that they mentioned that the uh, that one of the things that might be a way to counteract this depression, anxiety, and some of the even suicidal thoughts is to limit social media and limit those dependency on on these devices 
Um, a little bit is okay. Everything in moderation. But maybe having some time every day where you're doing some kind of physical, social activity. Maybe even playing a board game, going outside, throwing the ball around, doing whatever. I mean, jumping on a trampoline or something. I mean, doing something where you're interacting with people on a on the in a, in a face-to-face human connection level without these devices. Exactly. And we had already started seeing an increase in diagnosis such as ADHD and anxiety. And we saw depression on the rise as well. So COVID just kind of magnified that. And sadly, um, a lot of parents were more hesitant to take their children into hospital environments where they can get a, a better read on what was going on. So now when you ask me, are we seeing if you're getting better? No, it, it's kind of been like a delayed hmm. impact. And wow. so our phones are ringing more off the hook now than they were before. As people try and adjust to normal routine and find themselves, parents and children a lot, not being able to go back to what was the norm. So we kind of encourage people to redefine their norm and get their children. If they weren't playing sports, maybe you want to consider it now. If they didn't have any social groups, get them involved. A lot of individuals are starting to have their children go to church more now than they had before. And that some of the churches have programs specifically for children. So that's also important. But the physical activity part is important because a lot of children through this time period have actually gained quite a lot of weight Hmm. and picked up some other bad habits. Wow. And I noticed in the report, too, they mentioned that young girls were more prone to having this type of depression or even having suicidal thoughts than young boys. Yeah. And uh, that's sometimes attributed to the fact that girls are paying attention to, like when boys boys are told to tough it out more. So even in the, um, for adults, some of the statistics are, kind of uh, presenting themselves around cultural norms versus what may be true. So you're more likely to report it when it's a female over a male. Hmm. I always wondered if it would be different from military kids, because we talk about this idea about being isolated and then also having changes in routines. But for kids in the military, you know, I think when you think about isolation, you're constantly moving around. If you're military, if you're a military kid, you're going from you might be in Fort Jackson out in South Carolina one day, you could be in Camp Lejeune some other day, you could be wherever. I mean, so that being said, do you is, is has there any, been any studies that you know of about how um, the pandemic has affected military children? Are they are they taking it better or worse? Perhaps so they're kind of prepared for it a little bit. Maybe they have different ways of dealing with it. Or even people that are minorities, like, for example, minorities and people that are, who are different. If you're like maybe a, maybe you're culturally different or you're a different race or maybe a different sexual orientation, is, does that have an impact on um, pseudo, particularly suicide with, with children? It, it, it definitely, sadly, has been. Um, there has been an impact, especially, you know, because of COVID, the numbers for ethnic minorities have increased around suicides at a younger age so that um, there's been reports that have alerted counties around um, putting safety plans in place for African-American children. One of the reasons is because there's been no more uh, loss based on the population size. And so young people are being exposed to loss in a way that you wouldn't typically because there's been more impact of COVID-19 and deaths in the African-American community. Mm. So that's, you know, 
some of us were much older when we um, had any deaths in our family. I know I was in well into my teens and able to process it a little better, but uh, young African-American kids are seeing their family members dress up in black and go to services for people who are pretty young, and that enhances both depression and anxiety and the fears that come along with a sense of safety that you might have. And then in some of the communities where there's not access to testing um, um, for COVID and the shot, if they know that they haven't been um, exposed to getting the shot, there's more anxiety. So that's why we are promoting education around getting vaccination, especially in those communities where there's vaccination hesitation. Mm. What about for military kids? And then for military kids, actually, the one study that I read it said that military kids were actually adjusting better because they're used to change. So they already had that built-in protective factor. Hmm. They are, we thrive on routine. Military kids are used to moving around. So they have that to their advantage. Wow. And they might be actually responding more to being um, staying put. But now that we're in this environment with Ukraine, there might be more anxiety and, you know, I don't know if there'll be a study about it, um, but definitely um, that's an advantage that military children have now. The COVID-19 has given them more stability around movement and normality. They're kind of in a position where they're used to it. It comes with the territory with their family. The preparation because of the routine that's that's, that's something that makes sense I, I thought that might be the case but wasn't sure i was just something i was curious about but the thing of it is though is that we also as parents need to have conversations with our children which is something that you mentioned earlier so how do you start that conversation because uh, a lot of people and i've even i and i hear this all the time when people have the idea if you suggest oh i, well, I saw billy doing something that maybe maybe that's is that i mean i don't want to i don't want to say anything but billy did this or billy or, or sarah did that but they don't want to tell say anything to the child because they don't want it to they like they feel like they're putting a, a planting a seed or, or trying to almost like they're putting the thought in the child's head. But they don't so they don't ever come out and ask the child, "Are you thinking about these bad thoughts? Are you thinking about suicide? Are you thinking about hurting yourself?" Well, there are programs called Knowing the Signs, and they're kind of tools that allow you and give you the tools to talk at any age group. So certainly, you're going to have a different discussion with a five year old than you would a thirteen year old. But it's measuring, and, and part of it comes from what type of relationship do you have with your child around open communication. So that was encouraged, of course, after COVID, that you learn the facts about the virus, and then you sit your child down and simply talk to them based on their age so that they can ask you questions. Because what's most important is that they have more realistic thoughts about it and the situation so you don't overwhelm them where they're carrying the same burden adults were carrying and fears. you have to protect them of course but you also have to reassure them so there's tools out there that uh, nami produced some tools for talking to your children about covid and it came with different age uh, groups and what how much you should share and what you should avoid talking about but sadly um Children learn outside of their homes, so it's also going to be a responsibility of teachers and others that they come in contact with to kind of monitor their exposure to the more negative um, negative 
um, impact of COVID. And but it's really been observant. So all of the studies have shown an increase over years now around children's a sense of uh, well-being, and it started a downward trend with poor outcomes prior to COVID. And there's been some indicators that there's been an improvement about talking about mental health because it's become more pervasive. So young people are talking about it more. So with COVID came, you know, some negatives, but also some positives around reducing stigma around mental health. Hmm. Now, one of the things I read about, too, is that they were talking about the idea of kids when they're being reintegrated back into schools to maybe beforehand or, or, or if they're already in school, try not to just bombard them with, a, with tons of crowds where they, where they were first around the, a few people in the house, but now they're around the huge groups. Like, you know, so if they, to try to get them into small social settings in order as a first step to try to implement them back into larger social settings, like going to a high school dance or something like that before the high school dance, let's just go and take two friends to the park or let's go do, you know, play a board game or something along those lines. Is that something that you see as a realistic or or appropriate measure to take to try to help your kids socialize better? All of it is individualized to the children. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you have to know your child enough to know what approach works best. Some needs to get back to normal routine with the with the sports teams, with the classroom size as it was, and some needs to ease back in. When we did a survey around what was most important, it was released, re, re, relaxing some on the educational expectations. And um, teachers largely said what they needed most in the classroom was time for the kids to get readjusted back to the routine. Hmm not putting so much pressure on them to get the same amount because there was a tendency to, oh, these kids have been away from school so long, in order for them to be at the markers, we need to quickly get them back on pace. But the kids needed time to adjust to the new uh, sitting in a class with a face mask on Hmm. and uh, not having some of your peers whose families may have lost their jobs so they're not living in that area anymore. So... Teachers overwhelmingly said they needed more time and they definitely needed more staff. This um, time period, this is when a lot of educators, as well as those in the medical field, decided it's a good time to retire. So we have a shortage of school teachers in most school districts across the nation. Wow. Now, one of the things that the parents have been vocal about and across the country everywhere, even here in Illinois, is the idea of face masks. Like, I know a lot of schools are kind of re- relaxing some of these things, but in some places, face masks are still required or, or at least strongly encouraged. Do, is, do you see a face mask as a as, – what's your thoughts on a face mask as being a, uh, being a um, impediment towards social interaction or being stressful to a child? Well, I mean, you know, it's an extra burden. As you said, that we did not have to carry. But because not all states are having kids be vaccinated – and in some communities, sadly, the deaths for children have increased after schools allow for face masks for communities where there was vaccination hesitation. So what I heard one of the uh, CDC experts speak to was that children should be wearing their face masks when they're in class. Mm-hmm. And, and I kind of feel like indoors unless they're really well 
separated with a social distance, it's probably a good idea to operate from rather being safe than sorry, especially with the the, the Omicron variant. That um, and each state, they'll take a look each week at, at at the trending, and sadly, we're seeing younger people being infected. So I'm, I'm, I would likely be sending my child to school when they're inside with their face mask and then allowing them to take it off, off outside when they're playing around. That sounds like sound advice. I mean, we, but we have a lot of parents out there. They're protesting like you would think that somebody shot their dog. I mean, because they don't want to wear a right. face mask. <laughs> and it's like, I mean, it's, right. to me, it's like the most, I mean, probably the least evasive thing I could think of. Just putting up some countries just do it because that's just, it's just better that way. <laughs> it's working life with it. Right. That way with the face mask on. I mean, but, you know, but I mean, but I think, and I think children as well, at least like to, to kids in my house, they basically have, have adopted it and it hasn't been really been much of an issue. You know, and, I, and I wonder sometimes if parents, you know, because a lot of parents are, just, are adamantly against it. They're, they hate it. They hate the idea of their child going to school with a face mask, protesting the schools. You know, you might have seen this on news or things like that. It's happening here in Illinois. It's happening here in other places and around the country. Where yeah. people are protesting the school boards, you know, asking people to be uh, to, to resign in the school board, things like that, because they don't want their kid to wear a mask in, in class. But, you know, I mean, I'd rather have my child with the mask on and alive than infected with something that, you know, might be deadly. Exactly. And some children are more at risk when their family members are in the not working from home population, when they're in the service population, which means that they're more exposed, which means that they can bring, sadly, uh, more risk home to their families than their children um, would then be able to pass that on in a school setting. So I would rather not take any chances if I had young children or grandchildren at my age, I would have to say grandchildren in school, I would probably be pushing for them to continue wearing the face mask and even the teachers, sorry. But this is my question, my thing though, not to get on this topic too long, but why I just I really would love to talk to someone in a more in a realistic way because most people that I've talked to that that have vehemently you know opposed it don't really have a real argument they just don't want to do it because they don't want to be told what to do that's all that's all that's all I've ever heard but I know there's got to be people out there that have that or you can get some kind of idea as what is the real um, fear or anger or dis or where is the real hurt or harm in wearing a face mask. We still have individuals who don't believe that COVID is real. That's true. So, I, I mean, they, they don't feel like their children are going to be at a risk. They don't feel like they're going to be at risk because they don't feel like they feel like we're making a big deal out of it, mm-hmm. even with the death tolls. Right. I'm in conversations, we do a lot of, I have a contract with the FEMA around um, COVID um supplying the resources that people need around economic resources, non-clinical emotional supports for individuals. And when I have conversations with individuals about why they might not get vaccinated, they often feel like it's not a real thing. Even when they, I mean, I have people who have been hospitalized with it who are still vaccination, but just not, they're not going to do it. And it doesn't make sense to me, but I work in the mental health field, so I see a lot of things that don't make sense. <laughs> oh, wow, that's, that's, that's a word for food for thought. 
So when you when you see that your child is not engaging or is maybe distant, like what are some of the tools you can use? How do you get kids to participate? Because sometimes kids, you know, and, and maybe they were that maybe they were that way or predisposed to do that before the pandemic. But to, but you mm-hmm. want as a child's aging, you want to see your child integrate and kind of and be social at some level. I mean, kids can be shy. That's one thing. But when you're right. doing a family event or been doing been doing a, something with just the people in the household, sometimes I've, I've heard this a lot and I've seen it myself. Where kids just they just don't they can't engage like there's some kind of either anxiety or something going on where they can't they don't want to participate they don't want to you know talk to anybody they want to just kind of isolate and be by themselves. What are some ways that you can you know safely try to get your child to be more engaged? Well, I think anytime you see any warning sign, and at NAMI we have this program called Basics, which identifies the warning signs. I think you need to. Have- Take your child in to the primary care physician when it's outside of the norm. So when you see a kid struggling with their emotions and behaviors and they're not thriving and, and doing some of the things that kids enjoy, you know your child's personality. So you know they like to be in a corner reading a book. I was one of those kids. Mm-hmm. But if it's always and you see other benchmarks that they're not meeting, it's always a good idea to go and make sure that it's not a more severe diagnosis or disorder because we have had an increase in autism, ADHD, and just uh, childhood schizophrenia is on the increase. So it's always good and better to catch things early to do preventative um, approaches so that you can rule out. And then you'll know. I just have a, a, a kid who's an introvert. I, I I was an introvert. I spent most of my time in the library when I was younger. I just didn't have the desire to hang out and play on the schoolyard. But, you know, as I got older, I became more social. But I had some, I guess, uh, social anxiety when I was younger. But I, I worked out of it. And I think my parents did, you know, have some concerns. But it was ruled out, you know, that there, was, there wasn't anything, um, you know, I didn't have any uh, any emotional or social emotional problems. Kids have different interests, but if it's outside of the norm in a way that it is interfering with their daily lives, then they're not able to adjust in a way that we would consider normal. Then you just have to go and get it checked. Out. So, Gigi, come back and let us know more about that. We really have you on, we'd like to have you on the show again. Thank you for listening to America's Heroes Group Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss an episode. And for more details, visit americashg.org.